Okay, brethren, at this time we're going to have our first message for today, brought to us by Mr. Reg Noland, and it is entitled, Times Before the End. Okay, each fall, we leave our homes, journey to a feast site to rejoice and to celebrate for eight days, that includes the last day, and look back to where Israel lived in, in uh, temporary dwellings or booths and wandering through the wilderness and looking forward to the millennial reign of Christ on this earth in the not-too-distant future. While the feast is for many of us, a vacation and a time to rejoice, to commune with like-minded brothers and sisters, an annual retreat and a respite from the chaos, confusion, the wickedness that's around us, the actual millennium will not, will not be a vacation at all. Rather, it'll be a, great, a time of great industry and work as we rebuild our world and restore the earth to the pristine state in which God created it, cleaning up all the garbage and pollution that human greed has generated. You see, just before the Lord returns to, this, to set up his kingdom, this world will be embroiled in the worst time of all human history, consisting of three and a half years collectively known as the Great Tribulation. Actually, that's in two parts. There's the first period is the time of great sorrow, uh, which is about two and a half years, and the last year is the great and terrible day of the Lord. So we've got those. Let's look at uh, Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. For then there shall be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world, until this time no nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved alive. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Further, if we look at Luke's account of all that prophecy, it includes an extra, very interesting little detail. Luke 21, verses 20 to 24. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in, the time, in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon his people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. The song we just sung focuses on our liberator, and the fact that we are in, in captivity at the time of, um, of uh, Jesus' return. So did you catch it? Jesus' Olivet Prophecy shows God's chosen people in captivity during the times before the end. This is not the captivity and exile to Assyria or Babylon from history. That's a first... Uh, fulfillment of this prophecy, but rather in context, this is an end-time captivity of God's people. We're not quite there yet, but every day is getting closer. That we, that we are in captivity during the end time is affirmed in Zechariah 14.2, as Mr. McGarvey mentioned, read for us on day two. Okay. Uh, if you think about it, though, the recent quarantine, the self-isolation due to COVID-19, um, and 19 strongly resembles what? But a captivity in place. So if we believe scripture, and we do, then the things are going to get a whole lot worse before they can get any better. 
So how do we prepare ourselves for such devastation? Um, Psalms 111.10 answers that question for us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praises endure forever. But to understand our place in prophecy, we need to be able to identify ourselves in Scripture. Surely, nations as prominent in the world affairs as the United States and the former British Commonwealth would have to be mentioned in the prophecies of the end time. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, that's selfishness, effectively. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. From such people, turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into the household and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sin, led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. As Jack Nicholson's character in A Few Good Men said, some people just can't handle the truth. Okay, so they deny reality and spread lies to perpetuate a vision that makes them look good. So where are we now? E.H. Allen in Judas Scepter and Joseph's Birthright and historian Stephen Collins in his five-volume treatise, The Lost Ten Tribes of Israel, have traced the ancestry of the British and American people back through history to ancient Israel. Hence, when you see the name Israel or Jacob in, mentioned in end-time prophecy, know that it's really talking about us. It's really talking about us. Indeed, Genesis 48 records Israel's transfer of his name onto the children of Joseph. Those are Ephraim, the younger, and Manasseh, the firstborn. Further, a change in name often reflects a change in character. Genesis 27, 36. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? Remember, names have meaning, particularly in the Old Testament uh, scripture. Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Asking his father, his grandfather in this case. And Genesis 35, 10 and 11. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore. But Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I now give to you, and to your descendants after you I give this land. Notice here, the names Jacob and Israel refer to the same person. They refer to the same person. But one before and one after conversion. So then, carnal Jacob, meaning cunning supplanter, refers to the physical descendants of, Jacob, of Israel, while spiritual Israel, meaning he who prevailed with God after that all-night wrestling match, you remember the angel, um, uh, refers to the redeemed descendants of that patriarch. That's us. That's us. 
Let's look at the transfer of the name of Israel and all the authority that goes along with it. This is Genesis 48, 14 through 16. I know I'm re- all of this is, uh, should be old information for most of you, but it never hurts to repeat some of the good ideas. Genesis 48, verses 14 to 16. Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowing it. You've got to picture this idea, okay? Um, we have Joseph leading his two sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, up to uh, Father Israel for the blessing. And in keeping with the tradition, the greater blessing always goes to the firstborn. So Joseph had um, Manasseh in his left in his left hand, and Ephraim in the right hand, and led him up to and led him up toward um, uh, Israel for the blessing. But then Israel did a strange thing. Instead of reaching out his hands and placing them on them and blessing them as they were presented to him, he crossed his hands. He crossed his hands and laid his right hand with the greater blessing upon Ephraim, the younger. And with his left hand he blessed um, Manasseh. Okay, and he, uh, picking up again, this is verse 15 now, and he blessed Joseph and he said, God, uh, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life to this day. The angel has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Skip down to 19. Um, this is after uh, Israel had blessed them. And Joseph is trying to correct his father. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a great people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he is, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. In the Hebrew tradition, as I said, the firstborn normally receives the greater blessing bestowed with the father's right hand. But the father, but Father Israel, knowingly violated that tradition, crossed his arms, and gave the greater blessing to his son Ephraim. So now we know that the name Israel in end time prophecy refers to the British Commonwealth, that is Ephraim, the great multitude of nations, and to the United States, Manasseh, the single great nation. What Father Israel is bestowing upon Ephraim and Manasseh is actually the promise of the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis uh, 26. Because when you bestow your name upon someone, you also bestow the authority that goes with that name as well. Okay, this is, um, this is the birthright portion of the Abrahamic covenant, while the scepter, which is the kingship, was retained by Judah. They pick up a reference to that one in uh, Genesis 49.10, the first part, where it says, the scepter shall not pass from Judah. But let's read about the blessing. This is in Genesis 26, verses 2 to 5. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I shall be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. And I will give your descendants all these lands. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's a reference to in his seed with, uh, with Christ. Uh, 
Uh, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charges, my commandment, my statutes and my laws. Okay, so a second key to prophecy is there may be an earlier partial fulfillment of the prophecy as when Israel was carted off through Assyria and Babylon and then a later more complete fulfillment of it. Many of the, many of the prophets had this same sort of dual prophecies. Okay, for the rest of this message, I'm going to look at one of Isaiah's early prophecies uh, for, from, for this time before the end. I'm largely going to allow uh, Isaiah's words to speak for themselves because these are God's words through his prophet. So I'll add only small amounts of commentary as needed for clarification. Let's start in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 6 to 22. For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob. Remember what that refers to. That's the physical descendants of Israel. Because they are filled with eastern ways. Hmm. How many eastern ways have we seen filtering through our society today? They are soothsayers like the Philistines. And they are pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is also full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. And there's no end to your chariot. A note here, when it talks about horses, it's talking about transportation vehicles. When it's talking about chariots, it's talking about war machines. There's like the half tracks and tanks and all like chariots and things. Their land is also full of idols. They, they worship the work of their own hand, uh, that, which they, that which their own fingers have made. Now, this is, anything that their fingers have made, this is all materialism. Not just uh, silver and gold. Not just the little um, household teraphim or the pu public idols. People bow down. And each man humbles himself. There's an implied portion here before his idols. Therefore do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust. From the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks. These are expressions of arrogance. Of a man shall be humbled. And the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty. Upon everything lifted up. And it shall be brought low. Upon the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up. And upon the oaks of Bashan. Um, upon the high mountains. That is a high mountain. Biblical language is a kingdom. And the hills or positions of power. Upon the high mountains and upon the hills that are lifted up. Upon every high tower. Upon every fortified wall. Upon the ships of Tarshish. And all the beautiful sloop. A sloop is a, a sailing ship. With a long mast sailing ship. Today we call them yachts. Okay. The lofty men, loftiness of man shall be bowed down. And the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone shall be lifted up in that day. But the idols... That is to say, all materialism, he shall utterly abolish. And they shall go into the holes in the rocks and to the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. When he arises to shake the earth mightily with earthquakes and tectonic shifts and the like. In that day, a man shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which he made uh, each for himself to worship, to the moles and the bats. Into the, uh, to go into the class of the rocks, into crags of the rugged rocks, from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty, when he arises to shake the earth mightily. After all, what, what good is gold and silver going to do you if you're 
faced with imminent death. Okay? Sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils, for of what account is he? I do not believe that it is an accident that Isaiah chose a word that translates as terror in verses 10, 19, and 21. Given our recent experiences with both international and domestic terrorism since the turn of the millennium, there's been a notable increase also in disasters, heat waves, forest fires, a la California, um, droughts, floods, and during that same period, particularly of earthquakes. Scripture depicts numerous earthquakes in the times leading up to the great earthquake after the seventh pilot revelation is poured out. When I moved here to Oklahoma, there was no earthquake ever heard of. But how many earthquakes have we seen arise recently? It just, it wouldn't, something not expected in the heartland of America. Revelation 16, 18 tells us about the, that great earthquake. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake so, such as a mighty and great earthquake had not occurred since the men were on earth. This earthquake is unprecedented. I mean, ever, nothing like it had ever happened before. So uh, I expect... I suspect... Uh, that instead of being a single great earthquake, this great earthquake will actually be a cascade of earthquakes all around the ring of fire, which is the pathetic rim, and could trigger then branching earthquakes that would spread out around the globe unlike anything since the breakup of Pangaea. If you look at the USGS, US Geological Society earthquake map, you'll see that the string of fault line all around the Pacific Rim, and there's other fault lines that branch off uh, right across, guess where? The Himalayas and going into Jerusalem, right in the middle. So go study the USGS um, fault line map. You'll be amazed at what you may find there. Uh, Isaiah 3, 1 through 26, continuing. For behold, the Lord and the Lord of hosts takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. Have any of you been to the market lately? What do you notice about the shelves? They're kind of bare, aren't they? Hmm. The mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty and the honorable man, the counselor and the skilled artisan, the expert enchanter. I will give children to be their princes, and the babe shall rule over them. Now, while this may actually be, the, the, while these rulers may be actual children of a royal family, it's more likely to be a leader with simply an immature or toddler mindset, even if he's elderly. The people will be oppressed, everyone uh, by another and everyone by his neighbor. The child shall be insolent toward the elder and the base toward the honorable. When a man takes hold of your brother in your house and of your father and says, you have clothing, you be our ruler. Let these ruins be under your power. Everyone wants to avoid the power and the responsibility to give it off to someone else. And in that day he will protest and say, I cannot cure your ills, for in my house is neither food nor clothing. Do not make me a ruler over the people, for Jerusalem stumbled and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doing are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. The look on their countenance 
witnesses against them, and they declared their sin as Sodom. The fact that the reference here to Sodom suggests the nature of sin as sensuality and self-gratification. They do not hide it. You notice that? This is the first time I've known in history where this sort of sin was not hidden. Uh, Woe to the soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doing. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. In other words, he's going to get what he deserves. As for my people, as for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your path. Now, while these could be just effeminate men, uh, these women could be actual women now. Um, since the, most states in the British Commonwealth have already had female leaders, and in the U.S. Uh, election, uh, we have women candidates for the president of the United States in the next election, and according to the 25th Amendment, Nancy Pelosi could even ascend to the presidency if Trump and Pence were both uh, incapacitated. Wouldn't that be an ironic hoot? <laughs> okay. The Lord stands up to plead in order to plead his case and stands to judge his people. The Lord will enter into judgment with. Now, the word with is a preposition. It could be used as with or against. In this context, this probably means against. The Lord will enter into judgment against the elders of his people and his uh, princes. For you have eaten up the vineyard, the plunder of the poor is in your houses. This is the exploitation of the 1%. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding their faces into the, of the poor into the dirt, says the Lord of hosts. Moreover, the Lord says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk without stretching and wanton. Wanton is an early modern English word for lustful. Uh, uh, wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet. Therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will uncover their secret parts, in other words, make them naked. Uh, in that day, the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scars and the crescent, the pendants, the bracelets and the veil, the headdresses, the leg ornaments and the headbands, the perfume boxes and the charm and the rings and the nose jewel and the festive apparel and the mantle, the outer garments, the purses and the mirrors, the fine linens, the turbans and the robe. And so it shall be. Instead of a sweet smell, there shall be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. Instead of a rich robe, a girding of sackcloth. And branding, instead of beauty. Branding is a symbol of uh, ownership, of slavery, in this case. So again, we get to have this image of captivity at this point. Your men shall fall by the sword, and your mighty in war. Her gates shall lament and mourn, and she being desolate shall sit on the ground. Mm. Okay, um, and in that day, this is Isaiah 4 now, and in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, we will eat our own food and wear out our own apparel. Let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. I'm still waiting for this day to happen, but that's a whole other story. Um, 
This is suggesting uh, an unbalanced population. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for, for those of Israel who have escaped. Who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, purged the blood of Jerusalem, this purging of the blood is from sacrifices to idols, including the modern-day Moloch of abortion, from her midst by the spirit of the judgment and by the spirit of burning. Then the Lord shall create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assembly a cloud and a smoke by day and a shining of flaming fire by night. For all the glory... There, there will be a covering, and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat and a place for refuge and a shelter from the rain and storm. Okay, um, I've got here also Isaiah 5, but I'm going to skip that portion of it, except for one particular phrase. Here we've talked about, um, he's singing a song of his beloved and his vineyard and all that he's done to help to build a vineyard and he looked for it to bring forth good grace, but it brought forth wild grapes instead. Uh, verse 7 says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant print. Notice the Bible interprets itself. So in this case, here we have in Isaiah, uh, looking forward and seeing uh, God um, tending his vineyard. His vineyard is Israel and Judah. Um, and there's just such a disappointment. Notice he's talking about us, though. One of Isaiah's major themes is the injustice of the rich and powerful against the common man. Recently, we've seen such injustices dramatically brought into our living room via the news reports. We have seen riots that resulted from them, fracturing our nation even more than it was already divided. We have seen the heavy thumb of political pressure placed on the scales of justice in the Supreme Court. By the way, do you realize that with the confirmation of Judge Amy Coney Barrett, the ratio of religions of justices in the Supreme Court will be seven Catholics, the two Jewish, and nary a Protestant in sight? Hmm. We have effectively surrendered the judgment of our nation to Rome. I'm going to skip another portion here. Okay, read all of these references through Isaiah, uh, Isaiah uh, 2 through 5 uh, is what I was looking at. Conclusion. These visions of Isaiah may seem very dark, and they are. For Isaiah was a true prophet of God, bravely telling us the truth, which is a prerequisite for knowledge, whether we wanted to hear it or not, so that we would know that he is a true prophet of God. He doesn't just lie to us at every opportunity like some evil despot would do just to soothe our ears and to make us feel good nor does he deceptively hide trouble to come rather he tells us the dark truth he tells us the truth painful as it may be so that we may believe him so that we may believe him when he tells us of the glorious rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, of the victorious return of the Messiah and the eternal establishment of his kingdom on earth, 
the rightful restoration of all things which we memorialize each year through the observance of the Feast of Tabernacle on the last three days. So, don't quit on Isaiah too soon. Rather, be patient and continue reading his book all the way through to chapters 61 through 66. There's a lot of dark prophecies in there about bad times to come. But keep the faith. Keep on. Keep on reading until you get through chapters 61 to 66 where he describes the establishment of the new Jerusalem. His dark visions in the early chapters of his book deal with the times before the end which are beginning to be fulfilled. And they are there to verify his beautiful vision of the post-apocalyptic events. To give us hope for the future. To sustain us through these dark times that are just ahead. I'm going to read a few, a few verses from Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, this is the first six verses or so here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who, are, who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting like the vineyard earlier, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. This is what we will be doing during the millennium. We, he shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolation. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed their flocks, and the sons of a foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. You're going to have plenty of labor to help you out. But, when, but you shall be named the priests of the Lord, and you shall call, and they shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentile, and in their glory you shall boast. Here is the pa Revelation 14, 12, last verse. That here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Keep the faith. There is light at the end of all of this darkness.